Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. Good morning, good morning. Feliz Navidad. Um, for the Spanish Christmas here, my, my daughter came up and gave me, a, gave me a hug. My two-year-old, she ran up to me and grabbed my leg. She was like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I didn't realize that she'd been eating a bean and cheese taco. And she smeared beans all over my leg. So, you know, uh, it's been a good morning to start off with, wiping beans off of yourself. That's how you know you're a real parent, when you're wiping beans off of yourself. Um, hey, uh, let's give it up for our worship team doing such a great job this morning. Our creatives just kicking, kicking it off. Um, we're going into part two of this series that we started last week called Glory and Wonder. My hope for this whole month is that as we focus on Christmas, as we think about Christmas, that we'll think about Jesus, and we're, we're utilizing those two words, glory and wonder, to describe who he is what he is, how we should see him. And last week, we started that off in part one. Today, I want to jump back into that. I want to start with the title of today's message is two questions. Who am I and who is he? Who am I and who is he? The greatest question I've learned, and I believe that you can ever ask yourself, is not who am I, but who is he? Uh, you, never, you notice when somebody meets you, um, a different transitional times in your life, and you start to talk with them and it starts to be small talk, and maybe it's at a, at a dinner party or a work gathering or with relatives, or you meet someone brand new and they ask you, you know, what do you do? It only takes about 30 seconds of superficial conversation before they get to that question. What do you do? And then that moment right there tells you everything you need to know about where you are in that moment. Because you either cringe mightily when someone asks you what you do. Or if you're in a good space, maybe you're pretty stable now, you've gotten past some difficult seasons, or you've gotten through your, your uh, last transition, or you've gotten through a stage of unemployment, or you've gotten through your degree, or your, uh, your master's, or whatever it is. You, you've moved beyond where you were, and you're now in a more stable place. You have no problem saying what you do. But if you're not happy with where you are, if you're uncomfortable, if you've recently lost a job, if you've changed careers and it's not worked out the way you thought it would, uh, you stumble over your words. Uh, you have trouble telling people what it is that you do. Why? Why is that? Well, in our culture, it's very natural for us to just place value on one another based on what it is that we do. And we find our value in one another and in ourselves in what we do, completely opposite of what Jesus teaches us, of what God ascribes his value to us for. So we have a problem sometimes just saying, I'm a mom. That somehow feels beneath us. We, we have a problem saying, I'm in sales. We have a problem saying, I'm a student. 
Uh, we have a problem saying, I'm this, I'm that. How do I know that? Because I felt those things before, and you felt those things before. And those reveal more about how we view God than what we say about God. How we feel in those moments of transition, how we feel in those uncomfortable moments when people ask us a question tells us so much about us and how little we think about the glory and the wonder of Jesus. Why? Because in our culture, you are what you do. You are what you've accomplished. You are where you're going. Even if you don't have any clue like of where you're going to be in 10 years, if you just fill people's heads with all kinds of stuff about where you want to be in five years, people get excited. I mean, you could be unemployed, living off Pop-Tarts, sleeping on grandma's couch, but if you fill people's heads for about 60 seconds with, man, I have this vision and this dream, people get excited. Man, that dude's going places. <laughs> I mean, he's on grandma's couch right now, but that dude is going places. And you feel good about you, and people feel good about you. Why? Again, because we place value not on the glory and the wonder of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, but where we are at our current status in life. When we break up in a relationship, when someone goes through a divorce, uh, when we lost a job, uh, when we've had to uh, decrease our standard of living. See, modern culture, modern culture tells us your worth comes from what you do and your identity comes from who you see when you look inside. And when you look in the mirror. What modern culture tells us to do is to define for ourselves who we are. So modern culture will tell us, look inside yourself. Who are you? Define for yourself who you are. Boldly live that out. And don't let anybody tell you. Don't let anybody steal your shine, girl. Right? I mean, I, I have a teenage daughter. I grew up on just watching her watch all these Barbie movies, and they're about not letting anybody steal your shine and your star. And I'm just got like, good Lord, man. Like, I don't need to shine that much. I need to live, you know? Y'all hear what I'm saying, Right? It's embedded into our culture that you have all the answers that you need for you right there within you. If that was the case and that was true, why are we so insecure when people ask us what we do? When people ask us where we live, when people ask us what we've done, when people ask us where we're going. Why, if we're so bold and confident, no one's going to steal my shine, then how come we're so insecure? As a people, as a culture, how come when people have achieved the very things that we wish we could achieve, they're more miserable than we are sleeping on grandma's couch? They're overmedicated, substance abuse, workaholics, miserable, depressed, suicidal, negative, questioning themselves, massive insecurity. Why is this? It's because the glory and wonder of Jesus was always meant to outshine our shine. The glory and wonder of Jesus was meant to take center stage in our life to point us true to where our true worth and value actually comes from. 
See, modern culture tells us, you just define yourself. Here's the problem with that. Remember who you thought you were at 17 years old? Remember how you'd fight with people about who you were and where you're going, maybe mom or dad, and they would say, I don't think that's a good idea, and you'd get mad at them for even, how dare they speak to you about where you're headed for your future, stealing your dreams, shattering your future. And then you look back at 25 when you were, when you were 17 and you realize, that was a pretty stupid dream. <laughs> and then you look back at 32 on when you were 25 and think, yeah, I was pretty naive there. That's a pretty emotional decision. And then you look back at 40 on 32 and you go, man, I didn't know a freaking thing about life. <laughs> I, I didn't know anything. Why? Because you didn't know. Which means that you don't know now what's best for you. It means I don't know what's best for me. It means God in his infinite wisdom, in his sovereignty, in his glory and his wonder is speaking to us right here and now about our worth, our value, our status. And we get to make the decision whether or not we're going to place what he says as more valuable to us or whether or not what people think or sadly what we think about ourselves on our best days or our worst days, to determine and define our true value and our true worth. In Matthew chapter 19, uh, there's a man who comes up to Jesus. I'm going to read this to you. He's a, he's a rich young ruler. You might have heard this parable before. He's a, a wealthy young businessman. And he's, he goes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, the man says, which ones? Which ones do I need to keep? Well, Jesus replied, well, you know them. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father. Honor your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. The guy interrupts him. All these I've kept, Lord. I've done all these good things. But what do I still lack? Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Now, this was not Jesus speaking against wealth. This was Jesus speaking against wealth being the thing that keeps you from him. And what we see is this first thing that this man asks, this young, successful, wealthy businessman asks, What's the first thing he says? What's the first, what's the good thing that I must do to get eternal life? What is he trying to do with Jesus? He's trying to create a transaction. If I do this for you, God, this good thing, what good thing do I get in return? Are you following me? And Jesus was, was in essence saying, okay, here's what you need to do. Get rid of your status. Get rid of your title. 
Get rid of your position. Get rid of the confidence that you have in your wealth. Get rid of the confidence and the value you place on yourself. Get rid of the status of how people see you and the value people place on you and become nothing in the eyes of others. Get rid of all you have and follow me. See, it wasn't about his money. It was about his idol. It was about what was in between this man and Jesus. See, Jesus gives us a picture of someone who has what most people are after in life, power and money, which is one step away from great influence. Come on, if you have power, you get to call the shots. If you have money, you get to do what you want. If you have both, you become a great influencer to some degree and an instant overnight expert on everything. You notice that, right? If someone becomes successful, they get on every, in one area, they become successful in every area in life. Right? So Chris, if Chris becomes a successful, wealthy businessman, come on, Kayla, say amen. Okay, if Chris becomes an incredibly successful, wealthy businessman, and he's on Forbes magazine, and he makes, you know, top entrepreneurs under 40, and all of a sudden Chris is booming, how many of you know that Chris would be on somebody's talk show, and they would say, T tell us, what do you think about, about marriage? I mean, you're a successful businessman. T tell us about marriage. He could, Kayla could be sitting here thinking, this is the worst husband in the history of husbands. But because he's successful in one area of life, society and status, this guy's got to have something to say. We do this with rappers. We do this with actors. We do this with writers. We do this with authors. We do this with artists. We do this with politicians. They must have the answer for what's happening inside of me, but they don't. And Kayla knows he's a terrible husband at this stage. But we're working on that. We're working on that. The rich young ruler hangs his head in shame because at that moment, he could only focus on the question, who am I? Not who is he? He could only look at the circumstances and continually ask himself, who am I? But, but, but who am I? I'm a man of wealth. I'm a man of status. I'm a man of power. I'm a man with influence. I'm a man with opportunity. I'm a man who's known in the community. I have standards. I have responsibilities. I have people that look to me a certain way. To give everything up and follow Jesus. To give everything up of what people think I am. And simply be satisfied with who Jesus says I am. That's too costly. It costs too much. That is why he hung his head in shame. And missed out on the glory of and the wonder of Jesus. In John chapter 3, it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, to see God in His glory and wonder, Jesus has to increase in our life. And we have to be willing to decrease. Now, let's be honest. Increase is never something that we ever complain about in life. Right? If you're at Starbucks and you order a tall and they accidentally give you a, a venti. I mean, every time I tell them, I'm like, hey, just so you know, 
I ordered a tall. They're like, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, increase. Hallelujah. And you just drive off happy. The blessing of the Lord. You feel great. Right? They hooked me up today. That's awesome. Now, if you ordered a venti and they give you a tall, you'd be, hang on a second. Well, I'm not driving off until I get what I paid for. Right? If you ordered uh, uh, your burger and it didn't have cheese on it, but you paid for the cheese. Oh, man. I'm walking back in that water burger and they're going to add my cheese. Now, if you didn't pay for it <laughs> and they added it, you're, dang, I got, a, I got cheese on this thing. I didn't even add cheese. They, they gave it to me. The glory of the Lord is falling upon me today. Free queso. See, increase in our income, increase in new relationships, increase in opportunities, increase when we go from being single to being married, from an apartment to a house, from a a two-bedroom house to a four-bedroom house, from a bachelor's to a master. We have no problem with increase. We have no problem with promotions. We have no problem with advancements. Because we're in a culture that's all about increase. We're all out there chasing our dreams. We're all out there chasing the things that we believe God has put in our hearts. So we have no problem when increase comes in our influence or in our career and in our opportunities. Decrease. That's the thing that causes us to question everything around us. And sadly, more importantly, it causes us to question everything that's inside us. Everything we've been building our life on in that season. Ever gone through a season of decrease? Maybe you're in one right now. C.S. Lewis said this, don't let your happiness depend on something that you may lose. If love is to be a blessing, not a misery, it must be for the only beloved who will never pass away. See, all of the things that we aim to build our worth and value on have the potential to be lost. Let me say that again. All of the things that we aim to build our worth and value on have the potential to be lost. So ask yourself, where do you get your value from? Look back on your life. Where did you get your value from when the relationship broke up and you felt like nothing, you felt worthless and you felt hopeless? Where did you get your value from when the marriage ended? Where did you get your value from through the decrease when you lost your last job or your career or the promotion didn't go through or what you applied for didn't work out or the season you reached for didn't happen? It's in those moments that we have to decrease and learn to increase in seeing Jesus more in his glory and his wonder. What are you building your life on? Is it the status of your family? Is it the state of your family? Is it how good your marriage is? What about what if your marriage is, goes bad? Where is your worth and your value? Where is your, what about your status or your job title or your career or your bank account? See, the reality is, what I'm saying is that it's not who I am and what I can do. It's who he is and what he's already done. That is the only stable thing between now and the time we go to meet Jesus. Let me say that again. It's not who I am and what I've done or what I can do. It's who he is 
and what he's already done that can never fade away, that can never change, that can never pass away, that can't be taken from me. It's the most precious thing out of everything. See, in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the disciples. He sent out the 72. And they come back and they're celebrating. They're pumped. They're excited. They say, look, Jesus, even the demons flee when we cast them out. Even the demons respond to us and our authority in your name. And look what Jesus says. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's he saying? Don't even let serving the Lord be the thing that you find the most value in. But find value that your names have been written in heaven. That Jesus knows your name. That Jesus knows who you are. That the God of the universe who created the universe, created mankind, looks at you, has chosen you, and written your name in heaven. If you're not caught up in the glory and the wonder of who he is, Jesus, you'll attempt to get caught up in the glory and the wonder of everything you do for him. You'll leave one insecure place of finding your value in the world to coming to a place where you find your value in church or amongst other Christians, how people in church treat you. The rich young ruler, going back to him, he wanted to do two things the first thing he wanted to do was he wanted to add Jesus to his existing life as it was. And, he, and the second thing is he wanted to do something good for Jesus to get something from him. So let's go to the first thing. He wanted to add Jesus to the current life that he already had. That's a lot of what modern uh, culture, how they approach Christianity. I want to keep this life that I have because I know within myself that I'm right. I know within myself that my beliefs are true. I'm living out my truth. But this Jesus guy, he's not so bad. I want to add him to them. So I have three women in my house, so I understand this word. I want to add him as an accessory to my life. I want to tell you, Jesus will not be worn as an accessory to your life. He's not an accessory. You can't accessorize Jesus. He won't be an accessory to your parenting. He won't be an accessory to your business. He won't be an accessory to your pursuits. Christianity is not about what spiritual things you can add to your life to be saved or to find joy in. Christianity is about the finished work that Jesus has already done. That's where we see the glory and wonder, that it was his righteousness, him on the cross, his sin. He got what I deserved, and I now get what he deserves. Second thing is the rich young ruler wanted to do something else. He wanted to do something good for God. He wanted to get God to do some sort of transaction with him. But that takes us to the understanding that it's not salvation by works. It's salvation by grace and faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's what Jesus has done that qualifies us, that gets us to see the glory and the wonder of who he is. Now, what does that mean for us? That means... If it's not about what I can do, then it means it's not about what I haven't done. That means that on my best day, it still wasn't good enough to get me to God. That also means, though, that on my worst day, in my worst season, I was never disqualified from getting to Jesus. 
That's what causes me to see the glory and the wonder of Jesus. If I could get a musician up here to close, I want to close up for just a second here. Hanging around church as a kid, um, it's given me a lot of stories um, that have really shaped my life. Some, in particular, there's some stories from when I was a teenager that just being around church can really do a lot. <laughs> if your kids just hang around in church, they're going to be meeting a lot of people that they're learning from, that they're not going to realize they're learning from, and you're not even going to know they're learning from until 15 years down the road, 10 years, 20 years down the road. And they're going to say, you know, oh, well, I was in kids' ministry. You know, uh, Kayla, Kayla said this. You're like, wow, man, I, I hated Kayla. I didn't think she was a nice Christian. I thought she was... <laughs> But she actually blessed my child. That, what, what a powerful thing to say. Jeez, that was judgmental. God, what a horrible thing to say. There was, there was this one particular guy. Um, when I was around the seventh grade, I remember him. Uh, the service was over, and he was just worshiping on the piano just by himself. Caught up in the glory and the wonder of Jesus. Caught up in worship. Sobbing. To, this was a big dude. The dude was like 6'5", about 250. This dude could hold his own. And I remember just like being fascinated and also kind of confused. Like, why is this grown man crying, basically sobbing over the piano? I mean, I'm talking tears, snot, the whole nine yards. He was caught up in the glory and the wonder of Jesus. And he was in his own moment of worship with Jesus, where he was just going over the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus had done for him. And I'm telling you, everybody had, had, had left, and he was just doing his own thing. And I remember I went up to him, and, uh, you know, there's little Daniel trying to console him, like, hey, man, are you okay? You know, I'm like, I'm like this, hey, man, are you okay? And, 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 he's, and he couldn't even get any words out. But what was that? He was caught up in the glory, in the wonder of Jesus. I remember uh, around that same time, there was a man, uh, he wasn't, he was, he was probably in his late 20s, and he had a British accent, and I remember it was, he was, I think he was serving in our youth ministry at the time, and I remember just listening to him as he was talking about, okay, people had gathered around to pray, and they were praying, and they were praying out loud, and as he was praying, he was saying out loud, kind of testifying to God's goodness, and he was saying, you know, I've done seven years of medical school, God, but if you want me to give it up, I'll give it all up for you. I will give it up for the glory of Jesus. God, I will do what you say. If you're calling me in another direction, I will do what you say. And he was just sobbing. And I'm thinking, like, what? Why would God call you to abandon seven years of medical school? Like, that's a lot. But I didn't understand why it was so emotional for him. But I do now. Because it's painful to decrease. It's painful to step away from things that could promote you when God is calling you in a different direction. Also remember, at that time, the same time, a guy who was uh, like a youth pastor to me, he was my youth pastor, and he was always weeping and crying and, and wailing about the poor and the needy. I mean, I mean this wasn't just uh, a desire to help people. This was a soul cry to see those who are without be reached. And it just, it, it shaped how I viewed God. It see, see, the nature and the character of God is seen in God's people. 
And those are just three stories that I have. I've, I've seen men 15, 20, 30 years older than me, resp- men responding to God and his, in his glory and wonder and choosing in those moments to value that and find their worth in who he is. Not, not where they are in life, not what they're losing, not what they can't do in ministry, not what hasn't happened in their life, not what's going right, not what's going wrong. It's all about the glory and the wonder of Jesus. Now remember those times, and I remember seeing that and being moved with emotion, but that doesn't mean that because I saw what they were going through, that I was caught up in the glory and the wonder of Jesus. And friends, I tell you, this is where we can get it wrong. We can hang out around church for years, and we can watch everybody else praise and worship, and everybody else testify, and everybody else give their testimonies, and everybody else crying about Jesus, and we're like, maybe even shed a tear. Boy, that was emotional. But we still may never see his glory and wonder for ourselves unless we're willing to see the big picture and not focus on who we are, but who he is. See, all those people that I talked about, they could answer that question, who is he? They knew. They were not caught up in who am I. They were caught up in who is he. That is the question that will change your life. That is the question that will get you to see more of who Jesus is. Our church reaches a lot of people who don't have a lot of background or, or history with Christianity or, or any, any, of, any of this. And sometimes people will ask me, how, how, do, I, how do I get more? Like, how do I, I, I do more? How, it's not about getting and doing. It's about seeing. When you see him, you'll know what to do. When you see him, your heart will change. When you see him, your mind will change. When you see him, you'll see people different. You'll see your money different. You'll see where you've been placed different. You'll probably stop asking the questions why every time something bad happens. You will change because you see him in his glory and his wonder. So that's my prayer for us as a church, that we would move into this next season as people who see his glory and his wonder, that we would ask the question consistently, not who am I, but who is he? Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your glory and your wonder in our life. Thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for us filled us with your spirit, saved us from ourselves, forgave us, established our path. God, I ask this morning that you would help us to see more of your glory and your wonder. Father, for those of us in a season where we're consistently asking, when we hit the wall, who am I? Who am I? God, would you cause us to ask a new question? Who are you? Who are you in this season? Who are you in this moment? Who are you? when I'm without. Maybe you've been asking that question all of your life. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I in the eyes of people? Who am I when I win? Who am I when I lose? Who am I if I don't have? My prayer today is that you'd ask the new question, who is he? Who is he in your life? The first thing that he wants to be is your savior. 
as your savior, he rescues you from you. From the 17-year-old that was confident in you, from the 25-year-old that was confident, from the 32-year-old that was confident, from the 40-year-old that's confident. Onwards and onwards to not live in confusion and deception, to be confident in who he is. In essence, he saves you from yourself. Father, help us to ask that question more and more of you. Who are you? Not just in our wins, but our losses. And in everything we do. If God is stirring your heart this morning, ask that question. I encourage you, just wherever you are in your seat, ask him right now, Lord, who are you in this season? Who are you in my marriage? Who are you in transition? Who are you in my life? And as you ask that question today, walk away from this service today and ask that question even more. And trust that the Spirit of God is going to begin to show you things about you. Maybe like the rich young ruler that I talked about. Things that you have to now weigh out for your life and for your future to follow God. Places where he may call you to increase, but places where he may call you to decrease. And do the hard work of wrestling with those questions and wrestling with that work and seeing God give you answers that are going to satisfy not what people think about you, but really who God has created you to be. Father, you hear the cry of our hearts this morning, Lord. I pray that anyone today asking the question, who are you, would find the answer in you. Firstly, those who don't know you, God, that today they would find you and the gift of salvation that you offer. Father, the gift that says that no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter where they are in life, who they've been, God, your salvation is offered to them. That there's no mistakes too great. There's, there's no past too messed up. Lord, that you embrace those who choose you. Lord, that you say that those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are Lord, they'd be saved. Lord Jesus, let it be today those who confess with their mouth, even in this moment, you are Lord. Let them say it with confidence. Those who ask for forgiveness, God, let them be forgiven in Jesus' name. Let them be filled with your spirit. Put them on the path that leads to life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church, or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.